Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Everyone knows that the Senate plays a pivotal role in confirming a new president's cabinet. In the midst of this once-in-a-century crisis, it's imperative the next administration can count on the Senate to confirm its cabinet without delay. So hearings on President-elect Biden's nominee should begin in January, immediately after the Georgia runoff elections. Let me say that again. The Senate should begin hearings on President-elect Biden's nominees in January, immediately after the Georgia Senate elections, so that key cabinet officials can be confirmed on January 20th and soon thereafter, which is traditional for a new president. Senate committees held hearings for President Obama's nominees and President Trump's in early January before the inauguration. Majority and minority staff should begin preparation for those hearings as President-elect Biden names his cabinet. Now, President-elect Biden's slate of intended nominees provides a stark contrast to the caliber of nominees advanced by the current Trump administration over the past four years. The early days of the Trump presidency were defined by high-level appointments of individuals who were manifestly unqualified, plagued by ethical complaints, or swimming in conflicts of interest sometimes all three. At the time, Republicans in the Senate lined up to confirm President Trump's appointments, arguing that a president deserves his cabinet and broad deference on his nominees. I would hope the same deference will be extended to President-elect Biden's nominees, especially considering the obvious gulf in quality, experience, ethics. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 1st of December, year of our Lord, 2020. Going a day early because we got things to do, places to go, people to see tomorrow. Yeah. Today's show is going to be a lot like most of our shows, but kind of going back to our roots, which, you know, amazingly, I, I did not know. I mean, I totally missed it because I suck um, and don't keep up with stuff like that. But we've been doing this for five years. Five years. And I was kind of shocked by that. I, I didn't really, like, seek it out. I clicked a button by accident and I was trying to see um, stats of SoundCloud, which is not complete stats, but... Uh, kind of stats, and I accidentally clicked all time, and I I never I haven't looked at it for like ever. I think the first year I did, but we're over thirty k and a shitload of episodes. So I want to say not braggedly, and and California and Mountain View and Clifton. All those towns, I thank you because you've been listening forever. Uh, I mean, just a shitload of listens. My brother, Matt, who's listened to a bunch, and Sean, and 
Tom Kleeman and everybody, just thank you. It's it's just it's hard to believe. I mean, we were technically um, two episodes away from 500 podcasts. So uh, next Wednesday we will do a 500th episode. I won't go back. I'll probably play for the bumper skits, but that is amazing. That a people are still listening to it, which makes my day, uh, and b that I'm still doing it. Uh, and a lot of people said I wouldn't stick with things, right, Ma? I'm joking. Um, but uh, to the podcast, I, I, this is going to be the old-fashioned um, media hit because we just literally are living in stupid times, and I say that not being shy or, or being stupid, I don't mean to say uh, shy, hey, we said they were going to do this. You know, it's it's almost like uh, Denny Green. Uh, we knew who they were. If you want to knight him, knight him, or uh, whatever. I don't remember what he actually said. I guess I should know that. Um, but it's a great football line from, I think, the 90s when, you know, they, they got their asses kicked and he said, but, you know, they, they knew he was going to say that they were really good and his guys weren't really good and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we said the media was going to do this, but you just don't expect some of the stuff so rapidly. I mean, it's just like, you know, I know I, I harp all the time about how we went from lockdown protesters were killing grandma and pieces of shit to... Who the fuck are you to question the validity of these social justice warriors out in the street burning your cities down? You're just a fucking racist. America's racist. You're a racist. Everything's racist. You know, got it. But we're, it's not even official. Now I know I'm going to do a short section on it today and uh, for Sean, or Sean, Rich in Alabama, I'm going to go to the Epoch Times, it's got a big hit on it. It's pretty amazing when you, we're going to listen to some Arizona hearings today, because I'm just going to play the stuff, because once again, anybody who was a Biden supporter could honor, honor, articulate that if this was on the other foot, we wouldn't be certifying shit, and we wouldn't be talking as Schumer did, you know, the people that have been screaming about norms and breaking things and... Ah, decorum are saying before he's even sworn in, we need to certify all his people. That's just some fucking crazy shit. Um, we wouldn't be doing any of it. Just not a not a one. Not a finger. Because it's some crazy shit. It's just crazy. And it ties in with the 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 genesis of genesis of the show. Our media is garbage. Just, just that shit wouldn't fly if you were a freaking Republican. They didn't let Trump get away with this shit. Biden's on the t on this Twitter account again. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, and listen to each other again to make progress. We must stop treating our opponents as our enemy. We're not enemies. We're Americans. They think people are stupid. And oh yeah, yeah, that's that's okay. More and more people are going to be more like us than anybody else. And I want to start the show 
on the simple fact you cannot shit on people and call them fucking Nazis and technically change every election law in only a few states and do some shady, shady shit and have your people run around on the weekend during COVID, butt-ass naked up sans mask, having a great time when you're saying the protesters of the election are killing grandma and then say, hey, we're not enemies. Let's be friends. There's a picture of this lady. We did it. Yeah, you did. Because here's Rasmussen reports. I'm I'm just reporting the facts, as the Obama administration used to say. Huge. How likely is it that Democrats stole votes or destroyed pro-Trump ballots in several states to ensure that Biden would win? Now, Republicans, 75%. You expected it. Unaffiliated? 39%? Oh, that's surprising. Of that, 29% said very very likely. Democrats? 30%. A third of your own voters think you stole an election. 47% of the country believes you stole the election. Only 50 think this was on the up and up. And those are the 50 that they talked to that, of course, hated Trump. So, yeah, sure, great. I mean, I said this was going to all happen. That the bar was so fucking low. And I'm not saying like, oh, I said it, I'm Rush Limbaugh. No, The bar is so low, we now have island bar owner Keith McClarney has declared that he's an autonomous zone. I'm not going to go in depth because everybody saw it. They all saw it. It happened. People are going to do what you did. So no, there's not going to be any unity when you spend four years calling everybody else who doesn't think like you the actual 68 million votes or 70 million votes or whatever the fuck Trump's at now, a lot of voters that were actual votes. Nazis. And then right when you go in office, go with exactly what I bitch about on the show about Republicans, and that's why I'm not a fucking Republican. They don't wield power. Seven ways Biden can go it alone on gun violence. The trace. And I told you I was going to cover this. Let's get into the, they broke it down. Implementing an all-government approach to gun violence reduction. Reinvigorating the Bureau of, or ATF, basically. An overhaul the ATF classifies the National Firearm Act weapons. And there you go. This shit comes from the far, far left. And goes after people's guns. The National Firearm Act subjects certain type of weapons 
machine guns, short barrel shotguns and rifles and silencers to heighten regulations. This is directly from their article. This is not me making it up. The ATF determines exactly which models, components, blah, 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 blah. Bump stocks, essentially designed to rifle the potential to replicate firing actions. Fully by a recent example, after a gunman used them, oh, Vegas, whoa. Which we never found out who the fuck it was, but he killed conservatives, but we don't care. In the past, the ATF has taken a lax approach, a Center for American Progress, Nira Tandon, your new soon-to-be OMB head. We'll do a whole show on that shit. We'll, we'll do it later, but when she gets... The, Jesus fucking Christ. How many Nira Tandon psycho, I hate other American tweet have we read? She's a Hillary sycophant. She'll be in charge of it. Deferred to manufacture state description of firearms. The traces reported on the proliferation of barely legal accessories. Reviewing firearm and components on the basis of potential. Data collection and research. Blah, blah, blah. Then we just get straight into it. Mother fucking WAPO. Biden's gun control plan is terrible for working class firearm owners. It will put them at risk while doing little to curb violence. You go to the town hall. Uh, come on, work with me. And this was in the WAPO, but I don't want to go past the payroll. Perhaps the most troubling of goals is Biden's plan is to propose expansion to the definition of the 1934 National Firearm Act, which came directly from American progress. This proposal will put working-class Americans and their families at serious disadvantage, essentially taxing the exercise other Second Amendment right. The NFA currently applies to fully automatic weapons, or what most consider the machine guns, which are defined as a weapon which can fire multiple rounds by a single f- pull of the trigger. Trigger! Under this plan, Biden would expand the NFA to include semi-automatic rifles and high-capacity magazines, and exactly what I said. 200 bucks a magazine, 200 fucking bucks a weapon, and it wouldn't just be ARs. Chad Prather Biden is proposing a $200 tax on every assault rifle you own, an extra $200 for every high-capacity magazine. Are you ready? Uh, I'm going to go down here, too. Where's Joey? Uh, Joey Joe. Johnny Joe. We aren't required to register our semi-automatic rifles or magazines. In order to impose such a tax, he would first have to get gun registry legislation passed, attempting to do so ensure a Republican landslide in 2022 midterms. So bring it on. That's what I say. Bring it on. You want to go this way? Go ahead. There's already been an organization, not the NRA, which once again I tweeted to them, what the fuck are you doing, NRA? Joe Biden's gun agenda could cost AR-15 owners alone $3.6 billion in taxes for guns they already own. Another article from the gun writer. Just me alone, it would cost me $30,000. PolitiFact, all they're squishing on is, uh, well, he doesn't, he doesn't say every magazine. Well, we're going off the center of American progress. So they want to take everybody's fucking magazine. So yeah, 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 you are. But these people don't give a fuck. They're ignorant, stupid fucking people. 
They think they know better than everybody. They're more intelligent. And they can tell you how to live your life. But you just for two seconds complain about your life being a fringe. And they go, go fuck your religion. Go fuck your gun. Go fuck your fucking white privilege. And they sound as stupid as this. Assault weapons. They are simply weapons of war. Weapons of war. Weapons of war. No, weapons of war. 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 These weapons of war. Weapons of war. These weapons of war. 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 Getting weapons of war. Weapons of war. Weapons that are weapons of war. Weapons of war. Weapons of war. Weapons of war. These weapons of mass destruction, which is what. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. Anyone objects to getting rid of automatic weapons. Automatic weapons, they're not for hunting. They do nothing. They're not, they're only there to kill. And you'll notice that a lot of the things that have happened, happened with automatic weapons. When we see that, why don't we say, you know, who really needs to have one other than people who are at, at war? Yeah, yeah what is it? Truly automatic weapons we don't have. You know, we banned truly automatic weapons, I think, in 1934. Right, but we still got a lot of them, right? Come yeah, on. Well, what we have is not automatic weapons, so we have semi-automatic. So they fire in a fairly fast sequence, but you can't pull the trigger and they come like a machine gun. Those are okay. those are no longer but out. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what it is. There's no reason, in my opinion, to have them. You want to have a hunting rifle? Great. You want to have a handgun? Do you really think the Second Amendment is in the Constitution to guarantee hunting and target shooting? Do you really think that's what the Constitution is? I think the Second is Amendment is in the Constitution so that we can have muskets when uh, the British people come over in 1800. I don't think it's in the Constitution to have assault weapons in the year 2000. But I'm wrong. I guess. But that would ban most pistols. That would ban most... No, but pistols are different. You have to pull the trigger each time. An assault weapon, you basically hold it, goes... In February, you introduced the Assault Weapons Ban and Law Enforcement Protection Act of 2007. It would regulate semi-automatic assault weapons, including weapons that have pistol grips or forward grip and something called a barrel shroud. I read the, I read the legislation... I'm sorry, I read the legislation and it said that it would regulate barrel shrouds. What's a barrel shroud and why should we regulate that? The guns that were chosen back in, the, in those days were basically the guns that most gangs and criminals were using to kill our, our police officers. I'm not saying it was the best bill, but that was the best bill that could get out at that particular is? time. I actually don't know what a barrel oh, shot is. Okay, because it's in your it's shoulder thing that goes up. No, it's not. The weapon. This is a ghost gun. This right here has ability with a 30 caliber clip to disperse with 30 bullets within half a second. 30 magazine clip in half a second. These new 3D printers, which can be purchased for about $1,000, allow guns to be made, perfectly functioning, firing guns, without any metal. It's legal to hunt humans with 15 round, 30 round, even 150 round magazines. If you own a gun, keep that gun. Um, nobody wants to take it away from you. At least I, I don't want to do that. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore.
But you know, semi-automatic weapons are not just about gun control. This is about national security. You know that these weapons can shoot down airplanes. <clears throat> they can blow up a a railroads. In February, you introduced the Assault Weapons Ban and Law Enforcement Protection Act of 2007. It would regulate semi-automatic assault weapons, including weapons that have pistol grips, a forward grip, and something called a barrel shroud. Weapons with a barrel shroud would be regulated. What's a barrel shroud, and why should we regulate it? I actually don't know what a barrel oh, shroud is. Okay, because it's in your it's a legislation. shoulder thing that goes up. But some of these bullets, as you saw, have an incendiary device on the tip of it, which is a heat-seeking device. We have federal regulations and state laws that prohibit hunting ducks with more than three rounds, and yet it's legal to hunt humans. I think the Second Amendment is in the Constitution so that we can have muskets when uh, the British people come over in 1800. There's been a lot of people that have been shot by an unloaded gun. At some point, we as a country will have to reckon with the fact that this type of mass violence does not happen in other advanced countries. This is a ghost gun. This right here has ability with a 30 caliber clip to disperse with 30 bullets within half a second. And I cannot tell you how many times we have been fearful of letting our animals out because all of these law-abiding citizens are shooting back and forth in front of our house and behind our house and around our house. Why you can walk down the streets in an American city carrying a concealed weapon without a license is wacky. I well, didn't say without it. a license. I think, yeah, I think. I'm you talking, would. but that's what's going on. I'm talking about a different point here. No, people, I want to see people disarmed. Permits. They actually I want to, people they disarmed in our major through, major uh, cities. How's that for a plan? The pair of you that's would like there. to have the right to have a tank, and you don't agree because with it. Now you're committing straw man. The president of Bahamas proposes to gun control, and you know something? It makes me sick when I hear people say that kind of thing. If you want to protect yourself, get a double-barrel shotgun, as I told my wife. I said, Jill, if there's ever a problem, just walk out on the balcony here, or walk out, put that double-barrel shotgun, and fire two blasts. I know I played some of it, but the first one is so amazing because you start with politicians and then the media doing the same line. And it sounds very familiar because here is a COVID narrative. So many people want to know how quickly we go back to normal after getting this vaccine. Is this going to change how we socially distance? Are we going to still need to wear masks? That's a great question because, no, we are not going to immediately, once you get vaccinated, be able to go back to, uh, you know, 2018, 2019. The absolute best way for us to combat this virus and to, as quickly as possible, uh, turn those epi epidemic curves in a completely different direction is by improving our public health behaviors, which we've spoken about a number of times, which social distancing and masks are the foundation, and ensuring that everyone who is eligible to get a vaccine is willing to take the vaccine and get both doses of the vaccine. If we do both of those things, this time next year, we could look completely different in a positive way uh, compared to where we are now. Gosh, let's hope we get to that point. You know, it feels so far off, but it's we can see it from here. <laughs> Dr. Stephen Thomas, thank you for walking us through this. Thank you. Once it's Once the process is complete, does that mean they can take off their masks? They don't have to social distance? 
they can just go about their lives as before? You know, I would recommend that that's not the case. I would recommend you have an added uh, area of protection. Obviously, with a 90-plus percent effective vaccine, you could feel much more confident. But I would recommend to people to not abandon all public health measures just because you've been vaccinated. Because even though for the general population it might be 90 to 95 percent effective, you don't necessarily know for you how effective it is. So when I get vaccinated, which I hope to when, when it becomes my turn to get vaccinated, I'm not going to abandon completely public health measures. I could feel more relaxed and, and essentially not having the stringency of it that we have right now. But I think abandoning it completely would not be a good idea. Because 5 to 10 percent of the people that get immunized, it will not be effective for. So they might actually get the virus right. if they just completely let down their guard. Okay, that's interesting. I think it's very important that everybody understands that their behavior impacts not only themselves and their risk of acquiring the infection, but that of others and the people around them that they love. And I would hope that people use their judgment to indeed wear masks, wash their hands, and keep their distance. Dr. Sawi, let me, let me just re-emphasize what you just said, because even as this, these vaccines get distributed to frontline and elderly and other vulnerable people first, that does not mean that for months to come, we should not be wearing masks, washing hands, and keeping a safe distance, correct? Exactly. Absolutely. It's in addition to. The vaccine is going to help us get back to some level of normalcy. The vaccine will really become effective, and we can go back to total normalcy when the overwhelming majority of people will have been immunized and the circulation of the virus will go down. Finally, have you had any communication with the president? Which ties into, they're still doing this, by the way. Biden's staff is so amazing. They're not even political. They're so qualified. I'd like to start on the historic nature of some of of Joe Biden, the president-elect's pick. The team that that Biden has put forward is incredibly qualified, perhaps the most qualified cabinet that we're ever going to have. A historic appointment. History-making. A historic first. That's historic. Also historic. Historic. Another historic uh, pick there. Is there any one of these picks in particular that kind of stands out out to you? I think they're all outstanding. They are experienced. They are well-prepared. Boy, how refreshing is that? And it's very refreshing. I was talking to a Democrat who just said this also felt like the Avengers. It felt like we're being rescued from this, <laughs> this craziness that we've all lived through from the last four years. And now here are the superheroes to come and save us all. This is like being at the end of The Wizard of Oz. Well, this is like the 1980s Celtics basketball team. Trump really had the Z team. This is really the A team. Uh, the A team for the country. They are manifestly experienced and competent. The word competence been thrown around, qualified. Very coherent. Calmness. Deep knowledge. Kindness. Deep commitment. Professionalism is back. The expertise is back. And it's also nice to take a look at a group of appointees that don't look like a restricted all-white country club. Jake Sullivan, as the leader of the band, is the perfect choice. She is perfectly suited. With Alejandro, you're going to get competent, gifted leader, kind, thoughtful, brilliant. I can't think of a better person. Let me get your thoughts about Tony Blinken. I can't think of anybody better. I think tonight, maybe Absolutely. I'll be able to start going to sleep. I mean, all I have to say is, everybody look up, because it's a different way of living now, right? We all, I mean, it, it is, I was ready to sing the whole Wiz soundtrack today. We'll sing it together. Once again, we say it every time on this show.
our media would do anything to promote the DNC. They all live in New York and New Jersey. They are all moonbat liberals. I got to stop doing this. I listened to my last podcast. and There's a lot of bending over for stuff and my voice trails away since I'm on stereo now. And I got to stop slurping and opening sodas or monsters. Which I thought is a joke. And more on that in a second. Uh, we want to talk about one of our sponsors today. Monster Juice uh, Pacific Punch. That shit's like crack. That would be my bumper of actually had sponsors. But they'll do anything. When we get in our media today, we're going to talk some COVID stuff. Well, fuck it. Let's just do it up front really quick. Some A few things I just got at the last minute. Nearly one-third of New York and New Jersey small biz- businesses have closed in 2020. They live there. They know that. They all know it. But they don't report it because Trump said that shit would happen. And now they're not doing it. They're not going to do it. Because... But why would we? And then on COVID, you get this incredible shit that came out of fucking left field because we've been saying forever that China is so honorable and they never lie because Trump said they were. And actual scientists got on fucking Twitter and the TV and said, hey, this is all bullshit. This came from a lab and blah, blah, blah. And they're lying. And they said, those people are horrible. Silence them. Cancel them. Fucking kill their dog. You're killing grandma. And this is CNN. We have some breaking news for you in our world lead. CNN has obtained leaked documents from inside China, documents that reveal the missteps and the chaos of the Chinese government's early response to the coronavirus pandemic. The documents are from Hubei province, home to the city of Wuhan, where the pandemic is thought to have started. They show authorities released misleading public data on the number of deaths and the number of cases. They took on average three weeks to diagnose a new case and much more. CNN's Nick Peyton Walsh is breaking the story for us right now. An unprecedented leak of internal Chinese documents to CNN reveals for the first time what China knew in the opening weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic but did not tell the world. A whistleblower who said they worked inside the Chinese healthcare system shared the documents with CNN online, which show a chaotic local response from the start. This lack of transparency uh, sort of also contributed to the crisis. Seeing information uh, in black and white uh, was very revealing and instructive. CNN has verified them with half a dozen experts, a European security official and using complex digital forensic analysis looking at their source code. The documents provide a number of key revelations about the province of Hubei, home to the epicenter city of Wuhan. Firstly, some of the death tolls were off. The worst day in these reports is February the 17th, where these say 196 people who were confirmed cases died. But that day, they only announced 93. China was also circulating internally bigger, more detailed totals for new cases in Hubei. For one day in February, recording internally nearly 6,000 new cases. Some diagnosed by tests, others clinically by doctors and some suspected because of symptoms and contacts, but all pretty serious. Yet publicly that day, China reported nationwide about 2,500 new confirmed cases. 
The rest were downplayed in an ongoing tally of suspected cases. That meant patients that doctors had diagnosed as being seriously ill sounded like they were in doubt. They did later improve the criteria. If China had been more uh, transparent and also more uh, aggressive in responding, clearly they would have had an impact on how much the virus spread in Wuhan, in Hubei, in China, and perhaps uh, to the rest of the world as well. Strikingly, the documents reveal one possible reason behind the discrepancy in the numbers. A report from early March says it took a staggering 23 days on average from when someone showed COVID-19 symptoms to when they got a confirmed diagnosis. That's three weeks to officially catch each case. This information seems to be very surprising to me because normally it would take you know, just a couple of days. You're making policy today based on information that already is three weeks old. Perhaps the most remarkable revelation concerns early December, the moment when COVID-19 first emerged in China. Startlingly, these documents reveal there was an enormous spike in influenza cases in Hubei, right when studies have shown the very first known patients were infected with COVID-19. 20 times the number of flu cases compared to the same week the year before. Experts said it could have flooded the hospital system with patients sick from flu-like symptoms, making it harder to spot the first cases of COVID-19. The documents don't link the outbreak to coronavirus's origins directly, but they show flu patients were regularly screened, and many did not have a known flu virus strain, leaving open the possibility they were sick with COVID-19. The spike right, in, uh, in Wuhan was very unusual right, compared to previous years, you know, so that would raise a, a red flag. It was very, very sizable. Uh, it's clear that the Chinese uh, virologists can make precise diagnoses of influenza. But in retrospect, you have to wonder, was there some COVID in there masquerading as influenza? The documents also show the flu outbreak was biggest that first week in December, not in Wuhan, but in two other cities nearby in Hubei. All valuable information in the hunt for where the disease came from. Chinese officials have said the outbreak began here, the Huanan seafood market in Wuhan in mid-December. And despite Western accusations that it has limited its cooperation with the WHO investigation into the virus's origins, China has insisted it has been as transparent as possible over the coronavirus. For some time now, in order to shift the blame, she said, some US politicians have constantly used the pandemic and other issues as a pretext to smear and demonise China and so lies and misinformation about China. This will, of course, seriously mislead citizens of the United States and some other Western countries' understanding of the truth of China's fight against the epidemic. China's foreign ministry and health officials in Beijing and Wuhan have not responded to our requests for comment. This disease has killed nearly one and a half million people, about a fifth of known deaths in America. These documents are rare, clear and open window into what China knew all along, trying to appear in control while a local outbreak turned into a global pandemic. And Nick Payton Walsh joins us now. Nick, this is a major exclusive you uncovered. How rare is it to get this kind of window into China's response to a crisis of this magnitude? 
Yeah, Jake, this sort of detail is very rare. These are the details which China chose, it seems, not to share, at least in full. And it's pretty clear that it would have been, if shared in real time, as China discovered these problems, very helpful in terms of other countries knowing what to do. Now, to some degree, this it doesn't you know, confirm some of the crazier conspiracy theories that are thrown around about what China did. Was it a lab leak or man-made? They were simply facing the things that other countries ended up facing themselves. But they faced it first. And so you have to ask the question, if they were more open, if they were more transparent and shared their mistakes, could other countries have had an easier ride? And what implications might these documents have on the Chinese government and its image as other countries try to investigate the origins of this virus and how it got to, to their shores? Yeah, I mean, whatever you think about the World Health Organization, they're the ones spearheading the investigation into the origins of the virus. And that's important because we need to know how this started. The planet's always changing and we want to be sure that it doesn't happen again, maybe worse, in our lifetime. So it's important that obviously they open up and everyone gets to share their scientific knowledge around where this came from. But there's a broader issue, too, for China's image, because I think it's fair to say they've put their authoritarian system forward now as the most capable, that was able to move fast, swift, decisively, without all the dithering over masks you see in democracies and able to get a grip on this. Well, that may be true now and that they're doing reasonably well, it seems, the image they give off internally. But more broadly, it looks like at the start, they were a bit of a mess, frankly. They miscounted, they misdiagnosed, uh, they misinformed people about what was really going on inside there. So essentially, the vision you get is of a country struggling like everybody else, but with this strange impulse, it seems at times, just to try and bury some of the bad news. I have to say it was a remarkable insight. Some of the things here, I think many scientists would be very interested to learn about. Yes, Jake? and some confidence information of our suspicions that they've been undercounting their fatalities and their cases significantly. Nick Payton Walsh, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. CNN exclusive. CNN exclusive. Vast Trova leaked document shows China underreported COVID numbers took weeks to diagnose and didn't disclose a December flu spike. Wait, you mean the communist Chinese government lied and the American news media all but covered to dunk on Trump? Uh, gifts. No shit, Sherlock. Surprise, surprise. I mean, this is cute, but experts said this in May, and CNN said they were conspiracy theorists. New reports said COVID-19 likely in the U.S. in December. That people already said. And simultaneously, CBS rages about shutting down schools in New York, but they're bashing Florida on CBS. While COVID, you know, my Cuomo COVID is getting carted around as America's mail and saying, Cuomo, call COVID the Grinch. Tell people to think of COVID when they hear the music. And then he gets caught in another meeting without fucking mask. And he goes all Cujo on motherfuckers. I'm not playing anymore. Then they skewer everybody who's been saying, hey, hey. Hey, hey, it's me over here. Me over here? Yeah, kids don't carry COVID. Kids can't really hurt anybody. It's a crazy-ass teachers union that are fucking with everybody. We need to put our kids back at school. And Falky finally says it because the dad has been saying it since fucking May. And nobody covers it. Except for Tucker, which will take us to our first break. When we come in, we'll hear a couple back-to-backs on his policies before we even get to the media today. Because we had Iran. Yeah. 
and another one, and yeah, our media, they're just um de dum de dum Oh, and one other thing. The country's public health establishment has tortured your children for eight months for no apparent reason. That happened. That story has not received a lot of coverage, but it's been confirmed tonight. The authorities have admitted it. 60 million American children languishing in their rooms since spring, sitting in front of screens, learning nothing, isolated from human contact, in many cases, driven to mental illness. We can now report there was no reason for any of that. The experts were wrong. They had no idea what they were doing. But the most amazing part, and this really is the headline of the story, is that they knew they were wrong when they did it, but they kept lying about it even as American children began to kill themselves. Here's Anthony Fauci on Sunday. And as you watch this, keep in mind that this man on the screen is leading our response, America's response, to the coronavirus. Close the bars and keep the schools open is what we really say. Obviously, you don't have one size fits all, but as I said in the past, and as you accurately quoted me, the default position should be to try as best as possible within reason to keep the children in school or to get them back to school. If you look at the data, the spread among children and from children is not really very big at all, not like one would have suspected. Oh, I've always said you should keep the schools open, says the man in charge of America's coronavirus response to a nation whose schools have been closed for months. Right. Yeah, I always said that. Check the tape. Because, quote, if you look at the data, says Anthony Fauci. But wait a second. Why is this just now occurring to Tony Fauci? Isn't this Fauci's entire job to, quote, look at the data? Yes, it is. And yet somehow he never thought to do that. That's our Corona czar. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows It's the most wonderful time of the year Silver bells, silver bells. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. Memories, Christmas memories. They're the sweetest ones I know. Merry Christmas from Flyover Politic Podcast.
As Iran buried its top nuclear scientist this morning, assassinated in his car by a hit team outside Tehran last Friday, there are vows for revenge. Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, said his nation would respond to this criminal action. As new concerns are on the rise about what Trump will do in his final days as commander-in-chief, at the very least, the assassination makes President-elect Biden's goal of reviving negotiations with Iran much harder. This assassination has inflamed an already tense situation in the Middle East, with concerns growing over Iran's nuclear enrichment program and the 2015 deal all but dead. Allahu Akbar. And the response growing. Iranian TV with a highly produced broadcast of the physicist's funeral. Anger and sadness on full display. Chance of death to America and death to Israel. It does, though, put the incoming Biden administration into a very awkward position. President-elect also will get the presidential daily intelligence briefing starting today. That'll be the first time since his election. Comes at a very tense moment right after Iran's top nuclear scientist was apparently assassinated over the weekend. Holly Williams looks at the challenges the Biden administration will face in the Middle East. There's been an outpouring of grief in Iran for nuclear scientist Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, gunned down in an ambush last week. Mark, I want to ask you about a specific case that came up out of California. A homeless man has been accused of stabbing fatally two people inside a church in California over the weekend. This particular individual was deported three times, never turned over uh, to federal immigration officials before the attack, despite multiple arrests, multiple convictions. You look at this rap sheet, I mean, assault with a deadly weapon, domestic violence, resisting arrest, numerous instances here. So what, what is, what's going on here, A, and could you see this getting any worse under a Biden administration? What's your prediction? Jedediah, first of all, thank you very much for bringing light, more light to this issue. Uh, we, we've talked about this countless times. How many more lives are going to be taken that could be prevented if it wasn't for nonsensical sanctuary city policies? We have the processes in place. If you're a criminal, illegal alien, the processes are in place to remove you, to prevent them from taking another victim. But sanctuary cities block that. And it's been very clear that the critics of this president support sanctuary cities. It's outrageous. How, where are the protests? Where is the outrage? I've spoken to angel families. I've spoken to family members who have lost their loved ones at the hands of a criminal alien that we should have deported and was preventable. We should be united to stop that. Mark Morgan, you know of what you speak, and we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, and you know what happened with this, right? Well, nobody's going to talk about the fact that he wants to make them all legal. We'll do the back end first. The illegals. Suspect of San Francisco area fatal stabbing was deported three times. But he was never turned over because of sanctuary. And because we're hit, quick hitting this, he wants to go back to jerking off with Iran because Iran, they think they're great people. Tehran Times, Iranian officials who have always maintained that their nuclear ambitions are for peaceful purposes, not weapons, express fury and vowed revenge over the assassination, calling it an act of terrorism and war mongering. Is this an Iranian paper? No, that's the New York fucking Times. And then the people he's going to put in charge are not much different than fucking Obama, John Brennan. The guy that was in charge of our security. This was a criminal act and highly reckless. It risks lethal retaliation and new rounds of regional conflict. Iranian leaders would be wise to wait for the return of responsible American leadership on the global stage and to resist the urge to respond against perceived 
culprits. He goes on for like 10 fucking tweets. Jerry Dunleavy, Brennan absolutely furious about one of Iranian's regime's nuclear masterminds getting bumped off. John Brennan's against assassinating people without trial now? It's a Thanksgiving miracle. They did it. Ben Rhodes, the bus driver who was Obama's dude to do the deal and give him trillions of fucking dollars so they can hand IEDs to Afghanistan and kill Americans. This is an outrageous action aimed at undermining diplomacy between the incoming U.S. administration and Iran. It's time for this, this ceaseless escalation to stop. Seth Fransman, how come Iran's actions like holding hostage on an academic using proxies to attack in Iraq, attacking Saudi Arabia with drones, mini ships, planning ideas in the Golan are never outrageous and undermine diplomacy. They literally had militias in Iraq fire rockets with impunity. It would be easy to take this narrative more seriously if Iran's regime was held to some standard, any standard, as opposed to total impunity and never critiqued. Remember, they hung an innocent wrestler. The list of abuses is so fucking long. They don't care. Ted Cruz, after his tirade, Brennan's. It's bizarre to see a former head of the CIA consistently side with Iranian zealots who chants death to America and reflexively condemns Israel. Does Joe Biden agree? Yeah, he agrees. And while all this is going on, and they're so sad about poor Iran, Islamic terrorist attack in Africa kills 110 fucking people. Our country? Yawns. There's even paintings of all three of the poor people killed by American foreign policy. And then to finish how fucked up these fucks are, Forbes, not a conservative fucking paper, Shreds Democrat student debt forgiveness push. Makes mockery of people who played by the rules. And it's so fucking spot on. Tell me there, Beaver Cleaver. How in the name of Zeus's ass crack can you hand even just $10,000 to students that you want to vote for you, but everybody else has got... Car debt, house debt, trade school debt, all this other debt. You're not going to hand them free money. How do you pick and choose that? And wouldn't the majority of them be fucking white? I'm just saying. So let's move on to our media. And we haven't done a media bumper in a while, so let's have some fun. To say that we are closer to victory today is to believe, in the face of the evidence, the optimists who have been wrong in the past. Do Democrats overestimate the fear uh, by not leaning more into gun control measures? But just as important as what we are going to do this hour is what we're not going to do. We're not going to debate climate change, the existence of it. The earth is getting hotter and human activity is a major cause, period. We're not going to give time to climate deniers. The science is settled, even if political opinions That. Whereas everyone knows that Democrats actually care about stuff. Right. Bigots on the ballot are the shameful, dark side of our politics right now. And they are running as Republicans. 
We'd seen his face before Nobody was really sure if he was on the house of I think that um, it points to a return, quite frankly, to um, a move to a more traditional relationship with the press. I mean, Trump was very effective in um, damaging the reputation of reporters and constantly attacking reporters because he wanted his uh, word to be final. He wanted his supporters to believe only what he said and not what they saw in the news. And, and you know, he really eroded the First Amendment. So I, I'm actually uh, quite pleased that he picked uh, not only women, but these women in particular because they have strong relationships with the press. I mean, remember how Trump used to attack reporters like Abby Phillips, reporters like uh, Yamish uh, Alcindor, April Ryan, Katie Collins. It was a constant attack of women, female reporters predominantly. I mean, he, he did have that back and forth with Jim Acosta. But I, I think that this is um, a, a point in the right direction because we know that now we'll have um, a more traditional relationship with the press. Right. You think that, uh, you agree with that, Joy? Yes, I, I think she's got. Uh, she's right. They need to fumigate the room first to get rid of the lying that went on there for years. That's how fucking biased our media is. Really think about those women saying we're going to go back to our regular relationship with the media, which is we promote everything they fucking say and we say anything they do wrong is just a Republican fucking. It's just politics. It's partisan politics. It's so bad. That there are numerous, this podcast, just silly, silly fucking shit. Just silly shit. Uh, Molly Hemingway starts us. Wonder how Judd Deere answers most calls to that office and Morgiston feel upon learning this. Biden chooses all female senior White House Press staff. They literally ran with breaking Biden names Jen Psaki as press secretary announces all female communication team. Next article. Biden announced all female senior White House press team. Like it's new. What the fuck is fuck? In the same article, uh, Corey Levy, core to the New York Times mission, well, we will scrutinize the incoming administration just as thoroughly as we did the outgoing one. Just posted, New York Times takes deep look at West Exec, secretive consulting firm that's helping Biden. Simultaneously, while they put up, President-elect Joe Biden announces an all-female White House communication staff with Jennifer Psaki, an Obama-era veteran, as press secretary. And Charles Blow. Stop doing general reveals. They're not cute. They're violent. And all we know before a child is born is their anatomy. They will reveal the gender. It may match your expectations of that anatomy, and it may not. If you love the child, you'll be patient, attentive, and open. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that sounds about right. They're making it like it's historic and it was already done, but when Republicans do it, 
Oh, no, 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 June bug. That doesn't count because those white bitches, yeah, they're not good. They're not good at all. They they be, they believe a baby's a fucking baby and they want to abort that shit. It's getting so bad already in the run-up to this fucking presidency that regardless of what we dream about, and I'll cover a brief election segment today, it's happening. Glenn Greenwald, an independent, actually a liberal. It's astonishing the media people who tried scaring the shit out of everyone by saying there's be a coups and civil wars are now claiming this didn't happen only because they stopped it with their tweets and columns. Instead of admitting, they again spread false hysteria. Same way they spent three years searching Mueller or screeching Mueller was coming to expose and arrest a criminal Trump-Russia ring. Then after Mueller closed the investigation, said he found no evidence to prove it is charged. Nobody with conspiring with the Russian insisted they were right. The last five years of U.S. politics has been driven by a huge sector of the media spreading hysteria, endorsing unhinged conspiracies, predicting coup and civil wars, warning of impending collusion arrests, all for their own benefit. Then never admitting they were ever wrong. And he tweeted this. In a secret meeting last weekend, Israel and Saudi leaders failed to agree on normalizing ties after the crown press backed away largely due to Biden. And what was the Hill doing? Oh, it it was fantastic. We didn't talk about that. We didn't talk that Biden's going to fucking change Middle East instantly because nobody in Israel trusts him. Nope, the Hill. Watch. President Trump missed a putt while golfing in Virginia Friday. I saw that tweet live. And then I saw this hot bullshit that, my God, what the actual fuck. And now some breaking news. President-elect Joe Biden and his wife Jill won't just be bringing their German shepherds, Major and Champ, to the White House. The Bidens tell us exclusively that soon they'll be joined by a cat. Yep, we're back. We're back. This is our media. We're going to be bowing to them. uh, Stephen Miller, these are all the Washington Post reporters really doing some Woodward and Bernstein shit here. Huge news for our aliophiles, the Bidens, reportedly plan to get a cat with all these emojis. Trump busted so many norms. When does he refuse to have any White House pets? As for as I could tell from some digging, Trump is the first U.S. president. He didn't do that. He's a piece of shit. He's a Nazi. I'm not reading the rest. Amy B., Jamie Hallman, Kathleen Decker, um, Chelsea Jones... Honestly, one of the most underrated plot twists in American history is that Joe Biden's cat wouldn't be the first feline named Malarkey in the White House. And they show pictures of motherfucking journalists taking motherfucking pictures of his motherfucking cat. The New York fucking Times. A cat is said to be joined Biden in the White House. CBS Sunday morning, you heard it. Stephen Miller again. Correct. Any accountability the media will hold against Biden will be from the left. As CNN Bill Weir noted, we're going to hold his feet to the fire on climate. And that's it. Molly Hemingway. 
cute media trick is to invent or hype complete hoaxes such as the Russian collusion hoax and then to downplay actual scandals such as Biden family corruption and say, I'm not sure apparent how boring things are about to become, which is what they're doing right now. And then her and Cheryl Atkinson, which I can't remember who did this, put out this montage of media mistakes on Trump that they've done and they never ever came back and said we were wrong. And senior Russian intelligence officials, FBI Director James Comey later testified it was not true. That report by the New York Times was not true. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, in the main, it was not true. In May, the BBC and The Guardian reported because Trump wasn't wearing headsets, he didn't bother to listen to the translation of a speech by Italy's Prime Minister. But Trump was wearing his earpiece in his right ear, as always, said the White House. In June 2017, NBC News reported that Russian President Putin said he had compromising information about Trump. Actually, Putin said the opposite. Do you have something damaging on our president? Well, this is just another load of nonsense. Where would we get this information from? Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal falsely reported Special Counsel Robert Mueller had subpoenaed Trump's bank records. AP reported a new survey showed trust in the media had fallen during the Trump presidency, but the survey was actually conducted under President Obama. The New York Times said a hypothetical family's tax bill would rise nearly $4,000 under Trump's tax plan. It turns out their taxes would actually go down $43. The New York Times and CNN shared a story with photos of immigrant children in cages. It turns out the photos were from 2014, during the Obama administration. In December 2018, NBC reported Trump was the first president since 2002 not to visit the troops at Christmas time. But Trump actually left the White House on Christmas to visit troops in Iraq. CNN and ABC falsely reported that FBI Director Comey was going to refute Donald Trump's claim that Comey told Trump three times he wasn't under investigation. Instead, Comey confirmed Trump's claim under oath. It appears that you actually volunteered that assurance. Is that correct? That's correct. CNN retracted a report claiming Congress was investigating a Russian investment fund with ties to Trump officials. Newsweek reported Poland's first lady refused to shake Trump's hand, but later acknowledged she did. CNN edited the video to make it appear as though Trump impatiently dumped a box of fish food into the water in Japan. The full video showed Trump had simply followed the lead of Japan's prime minister. Time, Time incorrectly reported that President Trump had removed the bust statue of Martin Luther King Jr. from the Oval Office. That false news went viral. In February 2017, TMZ reported Trump had changed the name Black History Month to African American History Month, implying the change was racist. In fact, it turns out Presidents Obama, George W. Bush, and Clinton all called Black History Month African American History Month. Also, the Washington Post reported on the cabinet battle over Trump's immigration order. The article was repeatedly updated to note that one of the reported meetings did not actually occur, a conference call did not happen as described in the article, and by actions attributed to Trump were President actually Trump carried out US by troops. his chief of staff. This video right here appearing to show Turkey's military bombing Kurdish civilians in a Syrian border town. 
but the video was file tape of a training video in the U.S. In November 2019, Newsweek falsely reported that President Trump was spending Thanksgiving golfing in Florida. He was actually in Afghanistan serving dinner to U.S. troops. CBS aired a story in March of 2020, supposedly showing a New York hospital crowded with coronavirus patients. It's all hands on deck in America's hospitals. It was actually filed tape from Italy. A week later, CBS News mistakenly used the Italy video again. And those are just a few examples. Slanted examines what's behind this trend and also takes a deep dive into the very public devolution of the New York Times and CNN, where I used to work. Just like everything they're going to cover up for, they never come back and admit, hey, we fucked up. We were wrong. They even ran with this fucking shit. I'm not even going to play it. Why Joe Biden's foot, his foot. I probably read about 30 tweets about him and his foot. Sheer insanity. Why Joe Biden's broken foot reveals how different his White House will be than Donald Trump's. Tom Elliott, Today in Journalism. It's a good start, but only start. Let's see if the president-elect and his team can stay committed to full transparency about his health. Was actually something in there. Because the press will increasingly fawn? Look at the grim-looking picture they use. Sliz is proof that anything is possible for anyone, even the most incompetent idiots in America. Try and read this without shaking your head at the sheer insanity of it. There's a lot of things in this world that anger me that probably shouldn't. And Chris Sliz is uh, getting paid to constantly write base mediocrity like this is at the top of his list. We're going to read it in a second. Guy Benson, I don't understand the surprise and consternation about the news media heavy coverage of Joe Biden's pets. We've always known the press loves covering themselves. That's fucking so fucking good. But here it is. And yes, per SOP, we are going to play some sad violins in the background. Okay, I changed my mind. This is more of an NPR type thing because they're super duper liberal. So let's let's go ahead and play that. Uh, let me let me make sure the volume's good on this. Oh yeah, that's good. It's perfect soundbite to go behind this lump of shit. Days before Thanksgiving last year, Donald Trump made an unannounced and previously unscheduled trip to Walter Reed. The White House said the trip was a quick exam in labs. We still don't know why he actually went or what the outcome of the visit was. Let's pause for a reality check. You fucking lying cocksucker. They told you exactly what it was. The doctor had to go on TV. The nurses, they went to the garbage cans because you thought he was going to die because he's a disgusting fat body. On Sunday, three days after Thanksgiving, Joe Biden slipped and hurt his foot while playing with his dog. Major. Because we know the dog's name. We ped the dog name. We have touched ourselves inappropriately thinking about Biden's dog. I know Saliza has. We were told via the traveling press pool that Biden was going to see his orthopedist out of an abundance of caution. Within two hours, there were statements from Dr. Kevin O'Connor know that Biden's foot and... 
had been x-rayed and appears as though he had a sprain. A CAT scan was going to be conducted just to confirm the diagnosis. However, then, 90 minutes after that, came this again from O'Connor. Initial x-rays did not show any obvious fracture, but his clinical exam warned more detailing imaging. Following a CT scan, confirmed hairline small fracture of the president-elect's lateral and immediate cuneiform bones, which are in the midfoot and is anticipated that are likely require a walking book. Notice the difference? Now, I am probably you don't know or care all much about Joe Biden's intermediate cuneiform bones, but that isn't really the point. The point is, is transparency in matters of health and, well, everything else is fundamental to a functioning democracy. And we've had the opposite of that for the last four years, and I can't fucking do it! Shut the fuck up! You guys said that fucking Walter Reed had to be defunded! You doxed the fucking doctor! Because he said the same thing. He just got some labs! You are the cock-sucking hypocritical fuckfaces that created HIPAA! HIPAA! It's none of your fucking business! None! If a doctor comes out with the president and states he's okay, well, yeah! But no, no, not you fucking tards. You spend every second of every day. How can I amplify and help the Democrats? How? I mean, our only two media bites, because I'm cutting down the podcast. Veshi and Nicole Hannah-Jones saying Biden's got to be a left-wing moon bat. And CNN... You cancel fucking Christmas, you communist! When we look at the, the priorities that this government has, uh, whether it's COVID or climate, what, what the administration, the incoming administration is doing is they're thinking about it as an all-of-government solution. So they're putting COVID people in every department. They're putting climate people, you know, they're going to have a, a domestic climate czar who's going to oversee every department's uh, interaction with climate and climate change. It feels like that's what really has to happen with social justice. It's not sort of one person or one job. It's the idea that everybody all over government has got to look at what the social inequities are and figure out how to address them both in the government and in the private sector. Absolutely. And what many people don't know is every uh, federal agency, every federal agency actually has a civil rights division. There is a civil rights division in the Department of the Treasury. There is a civil rights division uh, in the uh, Department, the Environmental Protection Agency. There's a civil rights division in HUD. There's a civil rights division in the Education Department. The prob- in the Transportation Department. The problem is, depending on the administration, that civil rights division is either disempowered or empowered. And so, of course, what social justice advocates are hoping for is that you see those civil rights divisions really being empowered. And, and the reason that they were placed in all those agencies is there is an understanding that in every aspect of our society, we have uh, inequality, racial inequality, gender inequality, and all of those um, government agencies have to be tasked with addressing them across the spectrum of American life because they impact Americans across all of the spectrums of American life. So the, the mechanism is there. Uh, it's just a matter of whether these agencies become, again, focused on actually enforcing civil rights positions and uh, civil rights laws and actually taking those positions that social justice is key to the work that they do. And, and it clearly is.
describe Thanksgiving as potentially the mother of all super spreader events. There are other major holidays on the way. So what should the average American be doing right now to stay safe? They should be masking up and not traveling. This virus is you know, no longer isolated to certain enclaves in the United States. It's all over the country. And when people travel from place to place, they just further that spread. So uh, the next big holiday is obviously the Christmas New Year's holiday where people tend to travel, want to travel, want to be with family, but we just can't do it this year. You know, we're going to cause needless deaths, uh, and particularly uh, among people we really care about, you know, our most vulnerable, our grandparents, our parents, uh, our neighbors. We can't travel this year. We need to stay home. This is a sacrifice that Americans can make, and we should be making it for each other. Stay home, mask up. We'll have a great series of holidays next year. We'll have, really have something to celebrate next year. For fuck's sake. For fuck's sake. You gotta be fucking kidding me. But yet, they don't cover any of this. IRS says, own air sent $1,200 stimulus checks overseas. But we got bread lines. NBC News belated story on side effect of lockdowns and isolation surprises few. More than eight months of the pandemic with very isolation meant to protecting nurse home residents has also contributed to their deaths. Confined in the rooms and largely cut off from visitors, many residents are experiencing mental and physical decline. Yeah, we got one for This is America. It's fucking horrible. Horowitz. Hopkins, John Hopkins analysis showing COVID-19 has relatively no effect on death in the U.S. is retracted. Because if you're fucking smart enough to realize it, we'd have more deaths from the flu. But magically, there is no fucking flu this year. There's no flu cases. The flu just took a year off. Supposedly. But these are all the same things that Trump and everybody else was saying. But no. Trump said it. So we must kill it. We cannot have that. We can't have anything. Any fucking thing Trump says. We are going to dog. Because that's what we do. No, 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 no. Trump says A, we say B. Trump says C, we say D. That's just what we do, because at the end of the day, it's not about facts. It's not no facts first. Democracy dies in the dark, all that bullshit. No, those are just to hype up our base and trying to get some clicks, because let's be honest, we were all sad. We were all sad. We were all in our little safe spaces. There's no way Trump is supposed to win, and he won. So we know, yeah, we got some problems. So we need to go over here, and we need to freaking fire up our base and tell them all sorts of bullshit. But some can't give it. It's Jake, Jake from Fake Farm. Jake Tapper, such moral cowardice. Georgia's Secretary of State and his wife become the target of vile, even sexualized death threats. Asked about those threats, the GOP lawmaker who once supported Rattenberger won't comment now. I'll take a pass, said one. Stephen L. Miller. 
I mean, you sat silently on a stage while a corrupt and recalled Parkland sheriff blamed a mass shooting on a senator and a spokesperson who had nothing to do with it. That's our media. Because, hey, same team. We're not going to suppress that. We're not going to talk about all the people harassed, all the death threats, that an actual sitting senator from the Republican Party was beat up by his cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs resist neighbor and had a punctured lung. No, 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 no. And then when he got harassed at the RNC, fucking crickets. And then our next Vice President Kamuja Harris, because you're going to call me a racist anyway I say it. Small businesses, especially black and minority owned, aka, hey, black small businesses really concern me. Fuck you, whiteies. Urgently need relief to survive the effects of coronavirus this winter. Joe Biden and I are committed to helping these businesses during the pandemic and get them the support they need to thrive in years to come. Don't worry, I got sound bites on the back. Or facts on the back that, once again, it's still the Democrats stopping COVID relief. But everybody else hit it from the way it needs to be hit. Harris literally bailed out the rioters who destroyed the small businesses. That has never been covered in the media. Gavin Newsom. Today is Small Business Saturday. California is home to over 4 million small businesses. This holiday season, shop safe and shop local to help support our economy and the over 7 million workers that keep our small businesses going. But you just shut them all down. Because you got caught. You got caught faking the funk on the mask. And you shut them down so people can't catch you anymore. So how, again, are those small businesses going to make it? They're closed, dingbat. It's, It's fucking comedic. Because the reality is, as stated a billion times on the show, folks... The inverse is always, always pointed out. A Republican can't get away with that shit. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. And let's be honest. Technically, they shouldn't. They're supposed to be holding the fucking people in power accountable. That's their line. They say it at nauseum. But they only hold one side. Just one. I, I Jesus Christ. So let's move on. We're going to play some of the and I'm going to play a uh, soundbite, and then you'll hear a break. Uh, the first soundbite will be somebody breaking down the, the survey I did on the last podcast, and the second one will be Arizona. The left 
left-wing news media didn't just poison the country with their incessantly negative coverage of President Trump going into the 2020 election. They also refused to give airtime to important arguments of the Republican campaign, covering up stories that weren't flattering to Biden and ignoring anything that shone a positive light on the Trump administration. So by the time Election Day rolled around, millions of voters cast their ballots knowing only what the media had allowed them to. The Media Research Center asked the polling company to survey 1,750 Biden voters across seven swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, six of which were won by Biden. We asked these voters about eight important news stories from before the election, from the Hunter Biden scandal to the economy and Trump's foreign policy, all things the media should have covered fairly, and all issues that should have informed voters on which candidate to choose. What we found was that a shocking majority of Biden voters, 82% in fact, were unaware of at least one of these key stories, with 5% saying they didn't know about any of them. They've abdicated all of their professional responsibilities. We've shown it in this study. We've shown it in eight different cases, in all eight of them that we looked at, in every single one, the media censorship succeeded in helping Joe Biden get elected. In every single one, it was done deliberately by the press. They deliberately covered it up. Not only that, we found that if the media had done their job and reported the news fairly, not only would Biden likely have lost nearly every single swing state, it wouldn't have even been close. You wanna know how to rig an election? This is how. The media just did it and we can prove it. Our survey found more than one third of Biden voters were unaware of the serious sexual assault allegations brought against Joe Biden by Tara Reid, a former staffer who accused him of assaulting her when she worked for him back in the 1990s. When similar allegations were brought against then SCOTUS nominee Brett Kavanaugh, the media ran with it for weeks. But when they came out against Joe Biden, we got silence, and here's why. Nearly one in 10 of those Biden voters told us that if they had known about Reid's claim, they would have changed their vote. And it doesn't stop there, not by a mile. 45% of Biden voters, that's almost half, said they were unaware of the financial scandal involving Biden and his son Hunter, a story that was literally censored by Twitter and Facebook and was outright ignored by the media. Now, this was a bombshell revelation. It was a made-for-TV story about foreign energy companies, backdoor deals, and corruption in the second highest office in the country. It raised credible questions about whether Biden had abused his power as then-Vice President for the financial gain of his family. And almost half of those who voted for him said they didn't even know about it. 9% said that if they had, they would have changed their vote. That swing would have flipped all six battleground states won by Biden, giving Trump a total of 311 electoral votes. And it's not just stories about Biden that the media ignored. They also suppressed just about every notable achievement that Trump made over the past four years, including a historic economic boom, record low unemployment numbers, and U.S. victories on the global stage. The five pre-election job reports from June 5th to October 2nd showed a record 11,161,000 jobs were created in the extraordinary snapback from the pandemic recession. But 40% of Biden voters told us they didn't know about this achievement. If they had, 5% said they would have changed their vote. This would have swung Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin to Trump, who would have won with 295 electoral votes. 
More than 43% of Biden supporters said they had no idea that Trump had brokered historic peace deals between Israel and several Arab countries, for which the president has now been nominated three times for a Nobel Peace Prize. If they had known, 5% said they'd have changed their vote, again, swinging Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, and landing Trump at 295 electoral votes. Nearly half of all Biden supporters said they didn't know the government had just reported a huge jump in economic growth, 33% on an annual basis, and double the previous record. More than half told us that they didn't know Trump's energy policies had led America to becoming a net exporter of oil for the first time. And despite the fact that the media has spent the last year slamming Trump for the coronavirus, which originated in China, more than one in three Biden voters said they didn't know that the administration had helped speed up the development of a coronavirus vaccine through Operation Warp Speed, which has already helped at least four companies develop an immunization with as high as a 95% efficacy rate and which could be distributed as early as December. If the media had done their jobs and reported fairly on even one of these issues, this election would have looked totally different. Our poll found that a total of 17% of Biden's voters told us that they would have changed their vote if they had been aware of one or more of these important stories. This would have moved every one of the swing states into Trump's column, some by a huge margin. The president would have trounced Biden in the Electoral College 311 to 227. And that's exactly what the media did not want, what they could not allow. You want to know how to rig an election? By doing exactly what they just did. By spreading fake news. By only reporting part of the story and ignoring anything that doesn't fit the prescribed narrative. By hiding information from voters so that it doesn't damage the candidate that they had already crowned. The most basic principle of our electoral system is that our leaders are chosen by the people. But if the people are given systematically one-sided information with crucial facts omitted, then the real power to choose has been stolen from them. And that is exactly what happened in 2020. Go to newsbusters.org to learn more about our poll and how the media rigged the 2020 election. I'm Brittany Hughes, and you're watching MRC TV. Uh, so we... Uh, with uh, some of the other experiments we ran. One of them was, uh, again, no one's ever kind of tried to do this after an election before. Nobody's had the interest or the funds to do so. To like to really think about, you know, if somebody was, if people were trying to cast illegally ba illegal ballots, either as part of an organized voter fraud effort or just somebody just deciding I'm going to cast a ballot I shouldn't, maybe a ballot that's not for my name, just one individual deciding, you know, I got an uh, absentee ballot uh, request to this address, at my address, this person doesn't live in here anymore, but maybe I should fill it out and see if I can cast it or, you know, potential clerical errors. And no one's ever really done this before. So we, we tried some stuff that just kind of uh, th th made us curious, things that we thought we might find things. So in Arizona, we actually pulled a universe of people who had never voted before except they showed up and voted this election. Um, and just call them and say, hey, did you actually cast that ballot? Um, it's very hard any of you who I'm sure in your maybe races for office have operated phone centers or conducted public polling, um, when you start out with a universe that's you know pretty big, once you start trying to dial that and get responses, that number that that universe shrinks a lot and shrinks very quickly because you have a broad universe and you have to try to pen phone numbers to it and you get maybe half of them or so, and the people who the numbers are correct, 
or they don't go to voicemail or some other problem, people who actually pick up the phone and start answering questions, that, that universe shrinks a lot. So we did this experiment in Arizona with some, uh, again, voters who had never voted before, again, this, and asked them if they had cast that ballot. Now, about 1% of them told us that they didn't. But remember, those were people willing to talk to us and, and uh, you know, admit that they did not cast a ballot. And many of the people we reached, we had to leave uh, voice messages for. We um, were just couldn't get a hold of it. One person in particular, I want, I want to play a video for you guys, um, who we left him a voicemail, but he never talked to us, so he's not included in these numbers. So I want to share just a clip, if I can, from uh, a program. Let me adjust the volume here. Maricopa County, Arizona, to Tennessee about five months ago so he could train for the Olympics. So you can imagine his surprise when he got a message from something called the Voter Integrity Fund. The state of Arizona is reporting that a ballot was cast in the name of Nishan Garrett in the general election on Tuesday. If Nishan Garrett did not cast this ballot, please call us back. Well, that doesn't sound fishy at all, right? Well, Nishan didn't think so either. So he went to the state of Arizona's voting website only to discover that his ballot had been accepted. And Maricopa County's voter portal said his ballot was signature verified and counted. <laughs> the only problem is he'd already voted in Tennessee. He didn't vote in Arizona. Nashon Garrett joins me now. Nashon, uh, great to see you. Now, you never received an Arizona absentee ballot or an application for mail-in ballots. So who the heck cast your ballot in Arizona? That is an excellent question. That is an excellent question. I have no idea, and that's the reason why I'm on here with you tonight. So I'm going to stop the video there. Um, but I think you get the drift of that. I'm actually going to play for you another recording here, which actually this one was particularly interesting to me. Um. Hi, my name is Thomas with the Voter Integrity Fund. May I please speak with Riley? Yep, speaking to him. All right, hi. Uh, can you confirm whether or not you cast a ballot in the state of Arizona? I'm a felon, so I can't vote. All right. Oh, let's see here. According to the state of Arizona, somebody cast a ballot in your name, and you may be a victim of voter fraud. Uh, can you please oh, no. the best number to reach you? I mean, probably the one you're calling me at. So I cut the video because, you know, whenever we reach somebody like this, we want to ask them a couple questions. Is the best number to reach you at? Would you be willing to sign a declaration or something like that so we could pass that off to attorneys? Um, so uh, I think those are, are two. Uh, and we've got hundreds of them um, of different categories. So we'll, as, as you've heard, um, we have recordings of everyone we spoke to, of the uh, 900 or so that didn't request, of the 354 that said they uh, did request but mailed it back and somehow state never got their vote is very and I'm very confident that we get very close to that number when we uh, take the uh, residency issues and then apply it to the other counties for which we weren't able to obtain data Good the point. second level of confidence is where you take a number of projection you go back out to low activity analysis um, and NCO analysis, which I don't know if I can get in the weeds, but these are basically people telling us that they had votes, um, who, that they didn't cast votes, they were cast in their name. If you're comfortable projecting these numbers um, to the population that we were trying to reach via phone that we just couldn't, I think then you reach another level of certainty that you're able to bridge that gap. Um, so I, I think that the 
I have a high degree of confidence that the number of ballots that were cast that should not have been cast, illegal ballots, surpasses the margin of victory as it stands right now. The vote count is inaccurate, the one that presently exists. Is that right? Uh, I believe that unless the questions that I raise get answered, you can't be confident of what the vote count actually is, and no one can. But the present one is very questionable. It is extremely questionable. Not subject to a declaration under perjury that is true and correct. I, I would, you sign, would you sign a declaration that it was true and correct in I, a statement to the federal government? I absolutely would not. I would probably go, I, I would put myself at risk of going to prison. And if I were your lawyer, I would tell you not to do it. <laughs> when we're talking about it, was Mr. Krebs, Krebs, is that correct? Correct. Okay. He stated the most secure election in history. He stated uh, we're not connected to the internet. He stated no votes leave this country. This is all things he's stated. He's stated publicly. So on, you, this is a website, correct? Right. So are you willing to say under oath that you have seen the connection to the internet? You have seen it go offshore to Germany, Frankfurt. Are these things that you have personally seen and can say that is not true? Our, our white hat hackers, yes, they have that traffic in the packets. So, why would he why would he make that kind of comment? Do you think either not knowing, believing the myth, um, or not wanting the truth to to be known? Thank you, Senator Morelli. Some people are taking some of this series. Serious? Here's Fareed Zakaria. That are legal and constitutional that could enable Trump to stay in office without actually winning the vote. The system of electing the president is complicated because it was not designed to be directly democratic. The Constitution calls for states to choose the presidential electors who in turn gather to vote for the president. Over time, states have passed laws that ensured their state's popular vote for the presidency would determine the electors. But those are laws, not a constitutional obligation. Now, imagine the scenario during election week. Trump is leading on November 3rd, but Joe Biden pulls ahead in the days following. Republicans file objections to tens of thousands of mail-in ballots. Democrats file countersuits. Taking account of the confusion, legislators decide to choose the electors themselves. Here's the worry. Of the nine swing states, eight have Republican legislatures. If one or more decide that balloting is chaotic and marred by irregularities, they could send what they regard as the legitimate slate of electors, which would be Republican. Democrats may object and file lawsuits. In some of those states, Democratic governors or secretaries of state could send their own slates of electors to Washington. That would add to the confusion, but that might well be part of the Republican plan. Because you see, when Congress convenes on January 6th to tally the electors' votes, there would be challenges to the legitimacy of some electors. It's possible congressional Republicans could decide that disputed states should simply not be counted. Suppose in this scenario, Michigan's votes are invalidated. That would ensure that neither candidate would get to 270 electoral votes. At that point, the Constitution clearly directs that the House of Representatives vote to determine the presidential election. But it does so 
with each state casting a single ballot. If the current numbers hold, there would be 26 state delegations that are Republican and 23 Democratic with one tied. So the outcome would be to re-elect Donald Trump. Trump doesn't need to do anything other than to simply accept this outcome, which is constitutional. Once again, if the roles were reversed, this would be a no-brainer. So I want to start slow once again. Five more ways Joe Biden magically outperform election norms. One, 80 million votes. A lot of Americans turned out for a Washington politician who's been in office for nearly 50 years. Consider this. No incumbent president in nearly a century and a half has gained votes in re-election campaign and still lost. President Trump gained more than 10 million votes since 2016. But Biden's appeal was so substantial that it overcame President Trump's record support among minority voters. Biden also shattered Barack Obama's own popular vote total, really calling into question whether it was not perhaps Biden who pulled Obama in 08 and 12. Proving how sharp this political instincts are, the former VP managed to gather a record number of votes while consistently trailing Trump in measures of voter enthusiasm. Biden was so savvy that he motivated voters unenthusiastic about him to vote for him. Winning despite losing most bellwether counties, Biden is set to become the first president in 60 years to lose the state of Ohio and Florida on the way to election. For a century, these states have consistently predicted the national outcome. Despite national polling giving Biden a lead in both states, he lost Ohio by eight and over three in Florida. And then they break down literally the Epoch Times, which we're going to cover for uh, Rich in Alabama. The Wall Street Journal and Epoch Time independently analyzed results of 19 counties around the United States that have nearly perfect presidential voting records over the last 40 years. President Trump won every single county. The VP picked up Chalem by about three points. President Trump margin victory in the other 18 counties averaged over 16 points. In a larger list of 58 bellwether counties that have correctly picked the president since 2000, Trump won 51 by an average of 15 points. It's math. I know it's stubborn. Number three, Biden trailed Clinton except in a few cities. Four, Biden won despite Democrat losses everywhere else else. In 2020, the Cook Report and New York Times rated 27 House seats at top subs. Republicans appeared to won all 27. Christina Polizzi, a spokesperson for the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, DLCC, went so far as to say it's clear that Trump isn't an anchor for the Republican legislative candidate. He's a boy. Amazingly, Biden beat the guy who lifted everybody else. Number five, Biden overcame Trump commanding primary vote. In the past, primary vote totals have been remarkably accurate in predicting general election winners. Political analyst David Chapman highlighted three historical facts. 
First, no incumbent who has received 75% of the total primary vote has lost re-election. Second, Trump received 94% of the primary vote, which is the fourth highest of all time, higher than Eisenhower, Nixon, Clinton, or Obama. In fact, Trump is the only one of five incumbents since 1912 to receive more than 90%. Third, Trump set a record for most primary votes received by an incumbent when more than 18 million people turned out for him in 2020. The previous record held by Bill Clinton. For Biden to prevail in the general election, despite Trump's historic support in the primaries, turns a century worth of prior election data upside down. And that, boys and girls, is why the media won't touch any of this. It's why they won't talk about record Latinx record freaking record everything. His votes are the most by any freaking incumbent ever. Arithmetically arithmetically impossible. Polster explains why the 2020 election is deeply puzzling. In fact, Stat and math. Kyle Becker, I'm a pollster. I find this election to be deeply puzzling. Trump received more votes than any previous incumbent seeking re-election. He got 11 million more votes than 2016, the third largest rise ever. Trump vote increased so much because, according to exit polls, he performed far better than many key demo. 95% of Republicans voted for him. Here in the highest share of all minority votes for Republicans since 1960, Trump grew his support among black voters by 50%. Joe Biden's black support fell below 90, which is a key indicator that he should have lost. Trump, Trump increased his share of Latinx by 35%. With 60% or less of the national Hispanic vote, it is arithmetically, arithmetically, why can I not say that word today? Arithmetically, let's try that, there's no T, impossible for a Democrat to win Florida, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico. Let me say it again. It's impossible at less than 60% for him to win those states. Bellwether states, Midwestern states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, always swing in the same direction as Ohio. Current tallies show that outside the few cities where they were cheating... In the Rust Belt, they all voted for Trump. Seven, yet Biden leads in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin because of an apparent avalanche of black votes in Detroit, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee. Biden's winning margin was derived almost entirely from such votes in these cities. As coincidentally, his black votes spiked only in exactly the locations necessary to secure victory. He did not receive comparable levels anywhere else, nor in the states that it happened. We are told that Biden won more votes nationally than any president candidate in history, but he won a record low 17% of the counties. He won, he only won 524 counties as opposed to 873 Obama won in 2008. But yet somehow he got more votes than Biden. 
Victorious presidential candidates, especially challengers, usually have a down-ballot coattails. Biden did not. The Republicans held the Senate and enjoyed a red wave in the House. They gained 27 seats. Trump party did not lose a single state legislature and actually made gains at state level. Another anomaly is it's found in the comparison between the polls and non-polling metrics. The latter include party registration, trans candidates, respective primary votes, candidates' enthusiasm, social media followings, broadcasts, and digital media ratings, online searches. Adding to the mystery is a cascade of information about the bizarre manner in which so many ballots were accumulated and counted. The following peculiarities also lack compelling explanations. And that's why, over here on Cheryl Atkinson, hard to find 2020 election fraud stories and links. It doesn't happen. But then you go to the American Spectator. Legitimacy of Biden win buried by objective data. Emerging information from the states renders victory less and less plausible. You go to the Epoch Times. Pal, Georgia fraud claims sufficient to set aside vote certification. In that state alone, she has a hundred and some odd claims with affidavits. Also from the Epoch Times, Sydney Powell, voting contracts in Georgia warrant criminal investigations where people were getting paid to pick up ballots. And then you go to vote pattern analysis dot substack.com vote pattern analysis dot substack.com anomalies anomalies and vote counts and their effects on the election a quantitative analysis of decisive vote updates in michigan wisconsin and georgia on election night executive summary in the early hours of November 4, 2020, Democratic candidate Joe Biden received several major vote spikes and substantially and decisively improved his electoral position in Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia. Much skepticism and uncertainty surrounds these vote spikes. Critics point to suspicious vote counting practices, extreme difference between two major candidates, vote counts, and the timing of vote updates, among other factors, to cast doubt on the legitimacy of some of these spikes. While data analysis cannot on its own demonstrate fraud or systemic issue, it can point to statistically anomalous cases that invite further review. And they break it down that it's fucking impossible for any of that to jive. But what did the New York Times do? Gerald Byer, don't get me wrong, this is not about comparing Mr. Trump to Hitler, which would be absurd, but you knew a but was coming. Opinion. 1918 Germany had a warning for America. Donald Trump stopped the steel campaign, recalls one of the most disastrous political lies of the 20th century. So once again, if you're out there saying, hey, you stole the fucking vote, you cocksuckers. As most Americans are, you're a Nazi. So as we go to our last break and then into This is America, here's an overriding ballot soundbite. With capital I. So how many of these straight red ticket or votes for President Trump did you witness approximately, uh, go back into into the envelope or whatever after they were taken out? Um, so they came in a pack of 50. 
-hmm. Out of the 50, it would be maybe just two that they were happy about. So I didn't get in, just like two ballots that would come out and put the rest of them back in the envelope because they count 50 at a time. Two, they would, two or three would be happy in each pile. It would never be more than five ballots that they were happy about that. They actually passed around and rolled out. One girl would roll them up and then she would roll them out with her hand and to straighten them to make sure, I guess, they're going to get fed in a tabulator or so. So how many groups of 50 did you witness this happen with? Oh, my God. More than 50. More than 100. Which table was this? Was it both tables? So there were two tables together. 123 right here and 120 right here. They would override so many ballots that I saw. They would, they would put in the scanner and then on there it would say, are you sure you want to override to them like something? In other words, it's a Republican ballot, but they went in and overrid the system and they, they would put... They would take the mouse and click yes, and a green check mark would come in and says uh, processed or some or so. But this was after they kept overriding each and every last ballot that they put into their scanner that was on their table. They would override them. Not one time did I see one go through, and it was just went through. They were overriding ballots. What do you mean by overriding? They would click in the system. So if my vote is for a Democrat, you can override it to Republican. If it's a Republican, you can override it to Democrat. It, it specifically says, do you want to override it? And they were overriding them. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America in 2019. That um, I'm not welcomed in Portland, Oregon. Well, welcome to my apartment and it's in Portland. So, fight me if you want to bring a fight over this, okay? Bye!
So I'm going to take the volume down because my wife's sleeping upstairs. The puppy is still waking us up at 2 a.m. and she had last night. So that, of course, is violence. <laughs> and to accompany it, Jason Rance, under a new experimental program in Seattle and King County, first-time criminals will not see jail time for their crimes nor pay restitution. Who will? Taxpayers. They're taking basically the concept of no bail to a new level. That's our future. Once again, it's not going to be based on actions and responsibility or anything. It's going to be based on group that will vote for us. Not even saying black. It'll come down to everything they can figure out how to do because now that they've stolen an election, it'll be much harder to steal the next one. And voting machines were all changed by 2024, so probably by 2022. And then we get into the sad stuff. Um, I'll start with journalist. Boing Boing Journo disgusted by skepticism over a story about a distant relative who caught COVID at a pro-Trump church. Relative in our extended family got COVID, as did her husband and other members of her family unit, at a pro-Trump church in PA. No space at the hospital. Died at home. Death does not break the denial. I didn't know them. Other family members are feeling the pain. I pray for them. I never met them. Never got to met them. They're lost to me. How awful that this totally really happened. Where is this? This did not happen. And the world shows pro-Trump churches aren't even open in Pennsylvania. Churches aren't open. Pennsylvania is running it by Dems. And then we find we talk about all the crap about money and taking care of people in bread lines. A reminder, L.A. County is using some of the Federal CARES Act money it receives, money that should be going to restaurants, to instead pay for portions of the remarkably ineffective PR firms. They spent $3 million on PR. On fucking PR. That's just atrocious. They won't even cover the fact that Ted Cruz did. Today, Dems are party of the rich, GOP, and is is and should be part of the working class. And it came from Ben Weingarter that basically, right now, rich elites vote Dem. They don't vote Republican. So, of course, Alyssa Milano comes out. This is hilarious. Why is the GOP blocking COVID relief from working class families if it's party of working class? Or blocking the bill to raise minimum wage to $15? Sit down. Alyssa, facts matter. Dems have twice filibustered $500 billion in emergency COVID relief. Every single Senate Dem voted to block relief. Pelosi refuses even to talk because they believe maximizing economic pain helped Biden it and helps Dems in Georgia. And they trust the press to cover for them. And he's right. It's just facts. When you spend all your time Writing articles like this. Washington Post. The horror of teaching redneck children about the election. Because 
they don't want to listen to the PA hearing or the California hearing are all just the stats I laid out, which I still think is the better argument. Statistically, since I wanted to put a T in it, impossible. And when NBC put out more than eight months in a pandemic, the very isolation, blah, 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 I read it. Well, they didn't cover this. Len Cabrera. My mom died yesterday from a massive cerebral hemorrhage. She would have turned 70 on Wednesday. In 2018, she had three of them. Had to learn to walk and talk again. Twice. Her persistence and resilience were amazing to her doctors. But her loss of executive function required long-term care. So, she moved into assisted living facility. It was supposed to be a happy time, cruise ship living with restaurant-style dining, daily happy hour, and live music, then covid Since March, her ALF became an expensive prison, and she was basically in solitary confinement. He has pictures of his mom, happy as hell, drinking a glass of wine. She stated, losing her ability to walk because of a lack of exercise, she was unable to see her family. Even after DeSantis allowed long-term care facilities to open, many didn't or imposed restriction for fear of lawsuits, my mom was allowed just one 30-minute visit a week. But visits were stopped for two weeks if anyone, staff, or residents got a test positive. Since March, she's only seen her kids a couple times and wasn't allowed to see her granddaughter because Florida only allowed 18 or over. She had no respiratory issues and wasn't afraid of COVID, but the va- draconian lockdowns that treated everyone as a death vector isolated her, deprived her of necessary mental and physical exercise, and made the last nine months of her life a living hell. Politicians have taken unprecedented, unprecedented actions to deal with COVID, ignoring constitutional limits and history of virus and how they dealt with. They currently ignore the data showing that cases, hospitalization, and deaths have no correlation with any intervention. At this point, anyone continuing to push for lockdowns or any other limits of freedom is evil. They should not be allowed to hold any office of public trust. They deserve the kind of isolation and economic destruction they've imposed on their population. The sad thing is, instead of trolls, people jumped in. And said, me too. Me too. I don't think we'll ever be able to understand the the impact of all of this based on politics. Not stats. Not data. It was just politics. Democrats who are honest with themselves, understand COVID was executed in a way to benefit votes. Their whole platform wasn't impeachment. It wasn't even Trump's a bad person. It was COVID. He is the virus. And with the complicit media that we've hammered and hammered and hammered, They're not going to go back and say we had 61 million people infected with H1N1. And we only tracked for a little while and came up with, you know, 50,000 deaths. We didn't classify lightning strikes or bike accident or a skateboarder because we didn't federalize it and make it money. 
mental health, people dying of cancer, simple cancers, and many other things. And then this story that really struck me because it made me realize how many people never got to say goodbye, how many people died alone. There was a picture on Twitter over the day of a chemmed up 100% mop suit wearing nurse hugging somebody just sobbing because they were utterly alone. Nobody can visit them. In the end, I hope the Democrats enjoy what they won. 50% of the nation believe in you stole it. And a more fractured populace, unemployed, will never know the full extent of how many small businesses went under and with it the dreams of all the people that owned it. And as they implement their $15 an hour and illegals and take people's guns, change the tax code, I just hope Americans remember in 2022 and 2024, who was the person that destroyed your life? Say what you will, Donald Trump's a jackass. His Twitter's embarrassing. He's not presidential. I didn't like all his decisions. But it was kind of like George Bush. He didn't base decisions on votes. He based on what was right for the country. And as more and more press start doing their job because they see the finish line, almost every COVID thing that is still being done in blue cities is based on politics, not on science. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments to flyoverpolitic at outlook.com. Flyoverpolitic with a K at outlook.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down and Pocket Cast, and about 10,000 other apps that I saw the other day. Remember, check out our Twitter account at FopTonyReed. Our next show will be Sunday, 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 13. Oh, I'm sorry. Six. Let's try that. Six, December, year of our Lord, 2020. And remember, Wednesday the 9th, the 500th episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Hard to believe. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Spend some time with your family. Deck the halls with Bows O'Holly. Put the tree up. Enjoy these times. Every time Christmas comes, I wish I would have put in my pocket a little more of those Christmas memories of my little ones and the pitter-patter of feet on Christmas morning. I enjoyed it, but now I envy it. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Twitter account at FopTonyReed and send suggestions or comments to email address F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Remember, the flyover states are the backbone of this country. 
Never fear flying your flag and standing tall. Ignore the media hate. Ignore the fascist coastal states. Try as they might to bring America down. The patriots of this country will never bow.